Right, this is Andre Corbett with WKNC's I Am The Triangle. Uh, here with us today, we have local comedian going international. His name is Mr. Patrick Blackrose Hines. How you doing today, Patrick? I'm doing great. How you guys out there? I think everybody's doing great. We're just happy to have you in the studio and kind of get some insight into what it's like to be a comedian and the life that's kind of around the, what we see as comedians. Okay. So well, I okay. guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um, the first question I have for you, Patrick, what's the most important thing that the audience needs to know about Black Rose? Well, Andre, they need to know that I'm funny. That's one thing they need to know. And they need to know that I'm going to give you a story. I'm more of a storyteller. I go way back. I go way back when I was with my grandmother and my grandfather. I'm going to give you stories out of New York City. Uh, that's where I'm coming from. Really? I mean, I guess you wouldn't expect a comedian to say they're funny, right? <laughs> I am funny. You guys got to come out to see B-L-A-K-R-O-Z-E. You heard him. It's Black Rose. So, Rose, to think more about just comedians in general. What is the comedian's role in today's society? You know, a lot of times um, we are in a pretty politically correct era. How does a comedian prosper in an era like this? Because we don't have to be politically correct. We can say what's on our mind. I can tell people what you think. And that's one of the things I like about uh, being a comedian. Once I get on the stage, I can say whatever, uh, whatever comes to mind, as long as it's funny. And right now, it's a lot of funny things going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, and having studied the comedy game for many years, and you had taken all that influence from things from past and the present, mm -hmm. what yeah. made you decide that it was time to turn your hobby into a career? Seriously, um, my son. My son. I've been funny all my life. I've been, I've been telling jokes all my life. My, my, my grandfather used to tell me jokes, my grandmother. But my son told me, he said, Dad, I have... Uh, we've been together, and I have never, ever, I can't remember one day that I did not laugh. He said, go out there and do what's in your heart. And my wife, she's, uh, she pushes me. That's one of my, she's one of my biggest fans. So um, I have a lot of stories to tell. Speaking yeah. of your son, Patrick, mm -hmm. um, what is his name, actually? His name is actually, that's Patrick Stephen Hines. He's a, he attends A&T out in Greensboro. Okay. Yeah. So now, from what I understand, you've got a longtime love who you mm -hmm. recently turned into a new bride. Mm -hmm. Like you yes. mentioned, I wanted to congratulate you on that. Thank you. You've Thank also you. got a son who you said attends uh, North Carolina A&T. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I would say go Aggies, but I'm a Wolfpack. Course, <laughs> I so, understand yeah. that. I got love for both. I got love for Wolfpack and Aggie. I got the that Aggie pride. that is, you know, I'm sorry if we beat you. Point, so. <laughs> He's going to get you for that, man. He's so, going to get you for that one. Okay. Now, Black Rose, now we talk about your bride, your wife, and your son. What role has your family played in not only making you the comedian that you are, but the man that you are? Well, now that, you know something? Coming out of New York with my mother, she was very hard on me single mom. She's a single parent and I got I got a little wild up there. So she couldn't handle me. So she sends me down to my grandparents. That's where I get my backbone from. That's where I get my foundation from. Um, my grandfather taught me the things that I need to to, to, to the things that needed to be a man and my grandmother just watching my grandmother the way she handled the household and the children taught me what to look for in a woman. Oh yeah. Including choking chickens, I believe. And choking chickens, my brother. Listen, I got you heard my chicken joke, right? I know I, I haven't. Can you go ahead and tell me this chicken joke? I can't. You gotta see it. I have to listen. Let me 
I can't play it for you, can I? <laughs> no, no, the FCC will shut you down if I play my chicken joke. Okay, they're gonna have to come out and see me. Right? They're gonna have to come no, out and see me. They're gonna look for me. <laughs> yes, yes. So basically, you say that you, your grandmother set a strong example of what you wanted to look for in a spouse, right? Right, right. And right. how do you think that your um, your wife um, Aisha? Yes, yes. How do you think your wife Aisha? How does she compliment you? Uh, not being comedian. Well, she she's that she fills in those gaps in my life. The the she fills that void. Um, she's that um, that fire. She likes that fire under me. Uh, if I'm zigging, she makes me zag when I need to zag. That's what I. That's what Aisha. Hmm. I can't say enough about her. Um, I don't think I'd be doing comedy, really, if it wasn't for her. She One day she gave me this tape from Steve Harvey, and it was about jumping, taking the chance. Um, and I, I, I listened to it, and that was like the turning point. And at that point I said, you know, I gotta get out here and do it. I'm, I'm, I'm older now, my kid is in college. Uh, I have a lot to talk about and I'm gonna do it. And I, and I took the chance and I have been rolling for the past two years. I've been consistently booked um, and I've been making people laugh all up the East Coast. Now you talk about making people laugh, Patrick. Rose, I have to ask you, what, which comedian or comedians inspired you the most and why? Who makes you laugh? Oh, wow. Wow. Now, we're going to go back. We're going to go back, start with Rodney Dangerfield. That's one of my favorites. He's Rodney one, Rodney Dangerfield gets no respect. Um, get no respect. Yes. Get no respect. Come on. You're pretty good. <laughs> then we're looking at, of course, Richard Pryor, Red Fox, and... Um, uh, you have uh, there's so many but to be honest with you what I'm motivated by today is the local comedians that I'm sharing shows with these guys have these guys they really work hard when I say they work hard they you could tell they sit back and they think about what they what, what what they're writing before they get out there on the stage that's where the competition comes in at that what keeps me afloat right now it's the local comedians i expect to see kevin hart uh do his thing uh dave Chappelle do his thing but when you look at these local ones like uh sister big bone mm. oh my god that's one of my favorite I, I i i've done a few shows with her and uh, i've learned a lot from her the grave digger uh these guys they get out there and uh, they make you work, man. They make you work. Yes, they make you work. So outside of Sister Big Bone, uh, what are some other comedians, uh, name a few other comedians that you, that you work with that really inspire you, that, that really challenge you to do better material? Okay, we got uh, well, we got Dante. We got Two Cups. Uh, I said the Grave Digger. We have um, Zach Brown, uh, Dink, Rob Wright. Uh, hold, Josie the comedian. You got a lot of them out there. You got a lot of them out there that's, that's doing their thing. I mean, I, I mean, they're really out there getting shows done. A lot of them are producing their own shows now. Oh, that's really? what, yeah, they're producing their own shows now. So, um, you hit me up on Facebook. You can follow me, Patrick Black Rose Hines, and I can let you know everybody that's doing something out there. So, Patrick, with you guys being friends and everything, mm -hmm. all the comedian, all the comedians. Yeah. 
how do you distinguish is it more of uh, the relationship there when you're on stage and when you're off is it more of like when we're on stage I'm trying to make not just the crowd laugh but my comedian friends laugh or is it competitive like where it's like okay well I'm gonna come out with better material than, than this person like friendly competition it's more like friendly competition once I see someone out there and they and they really they're really good they, they really got the crowd going and I'm sitting watching them now I have to step up my game Okay. okay, I have to step up my game, and of course, out there you got hate. You got hate everywhere, you know. But when it comes to Black Rose and his team, there's no hate. That's enough. That's enough comedy. That's enough laughter for everyone. People love to laugh. Okay, um, if, if if I'm not funny with this person, then I'm funny with that person. I have an audience. Every comedian has an audience. And and then let me tell you something. To get out there on that stage, man, I give respect to anyone that can get on the stage and put a microphone in front of them because you're lonely out there. It's, it's just you. And um, there are times when the joke don't go well. There's no backup singers. There's no band. There's no DJ behind you. You have to somehow get that crowd back. And that's the challenge. But it's a fun challenge. It's a fun challenge. Once you're out there and know what you're doing on stage, you have to be able to read your audience and give them what they're looking for. Give them what they want. Yeah. I mean, um, that's a very interesting perspective, you know. Uh, me, as a as a non-comedian, I'm sitting in the crowd watching you guys, you know, watching comedians. Because, I mean, and I see, I can't, I can't imagine the pressure it must be. I don't know if it's pressure, because if you're doing what you love to do, it's not pressure. But for me, I would see it as pressure of, I have to make this whole crowd of people laugh, think I'm funny. Not just smile, or I have to yeah. make them laugh yeah. with me. Yeah. But, but you know something? That's a job that... Um that I love doing. Like when you when you work all day, you go to school all day, when you relax, that's what you want to do. You want to relax. You have people coming to these venues just so that we can take things off of their minds. When they're with me or with another comedian, they're not thinking about their day. Only thing they're thinking about is that 30 minutes, that 25 minutes, you got them laughing, and that is your job. Whatever personal you got going on, you keep that off the stage. Don't bring it on the stage. Your job is to entertain, is to perform. So, Rose, let me ask you this. What's the worst thing about being a comedian? After, I mean, you, you, we talked about that before, you know, about it's your job to, <laughs> to push it all off the, off the stage and make people laugh. So what's the worst aspect about being a comedian? And on the flip side, what's the best part, in your opinion? The worst is when you tell someone that you're, you're a comedian, say, say something funny. Um, I see a doctor, I don't tell him to heal me. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, you come to my show and I'll say something funny. Uh, the best thing about being a comedian is um, it's the audience. Yeah, it's the audience, man. This is um, when you can create a story, a storyline, and you can rehearse it, and then you get out there and you perform that, and they love it, and they clap. You see them clapping. You hear that laughter. My brother, ain't nothing like it. There's, there's nothing else I want to do. So you, you've had all these different audiences, and you love that interaction, that engagement with the fans, right? Right, right. So... You've also been known to take your comedic talents to local nursing homes. Yes. I want to ask you, why is it so important for you to do? Because you have to give back. Um, I, I look at it like uh, these rehab centers and nursing homes, we have people, no one visit those, um, those patients out there, you know. Um, 
and I have some of my family members have been there uh, in nursing homes and I remember visiting them I said if I ever get a chance I would love to come back and give them some type of entertainment it got to a point uh, Andre I, I love this so I really miss it because I haven't I, I haven't had a chance to do it I volunteer to go out there but it got to a point where they would dress up and they would come out to see me they know Rose is coming to town uh, coming to their um, uh, center they would dress up as a Sunday and they will wait for me and they remember my name they remember my jokes and there's always one joke in particular that they always want to hear I can also remember a time when I, I have to admit it I cried because um, it, it a lady said to me she says um, you know I've been coming to see my mother and she has Alzheimer's and um, she don't remember much but she keep talking about a black rose and I didn't know what she was talking about until I came and I saw you perform. She's talking about you. She said, thank you. And um, that, that, that touched me. That, that, that hit me because I have had that in my family. And um, I said, you don't have to thank me. Thank your mom. <laughs> you know? And then I can imagine, you know, being a professional entertainer, that, that's got to reach you down to your core. Yes. Knowing that a yeah. fan appreciates you that much. Yeah. To even, you know, yeah. when they're suffering from something like that, because I never looked at it like that. I, yeah. I never looked at it like that. I, um, but um, I, you know, the disease is, is, is it, it, it's, it's a, it's a tough disease for family members to go through. And, um, and like I said, the daughter said that um, I can't. She doesn't remember anyone in the family, but she remembers Black Rose. And I didn't, she said I didn't know what a Black Rose was until the day I see you in there, doing your thing. I mean, Rose. You, that's the reaction you get from uh, some of your some of your more forgotten about you know, uh, yeah. fans. You yeah. know, I think it's great yeah. that you're going out there yeah. and showing these people they're not forgotten. I wish I more comedians would go out there. Hey, you, you can follow Really, right I now. wish more comedians would go out there. If you're out there looking for stage time and open mics, you can go to these, uh, these uh, rehab centers and nursing homes, and you can have all the time you need. You can have, you don't need three, you, they, they'll give you more than three minutes on stage. They'll give you a whole half hour. Go out there, sit and talk with them, um, share stories with them, have them share stories with you. It's a lot that you can learn from these, um, from these old, from the older generation. Absolutely. I feel like I'm learning a lot from you right now. I mean, I'm learning a lot from that older generation you're talking about, old man. That's it. That's it. So let me. So you've traveled all around the country. You know, mm -hmm. you've done uh, shows in small clubs. And you've mm -hmm. also done shows in theaters with your name literally in the lights. Yes. So yes. Uh, what's your favorite memory Ooh. thus far of your journey? Having my name in lights up in Richmond, Virginia at the, um, the Bojangles Robinson Theater. That was something. When I drove up there that night, I never seen my name in lights. So just seeing Black Rose flashing like that, I said, "Wow, maybe I've arrived. Maybe I have arrived." But I have a job to do, you know. Um, that's why I was there. I have a job to do. So I, that told me how much. That told me how much they 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 respected me and they wanted me. Hmm. You know, because I, I didn't know that they were going to do that or do all of that. But I was just, I was told to come and do a show. And I said, okay, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia, such and such time, whatever the case may be. And they said they're going to do advertising. But when I drove up at that theater and I saw my name up there, I said, wow, man, that's, uh, maybe I have arrived. But I'll tell you one thing, 
I'm, I, I won't stop doing comedy. I will be, you can, I will be cold. You can be pushing me in a morgue. I will still have a joke for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that, Patrick. I mean, it seems like comedy is not only your life, but just your reality. It is. It is, man. And if you don't I, say a joke, something funny is going to happen to you. Something funny is going to happen. This, this is just the way my world has been. From the day I was born, I'm trying to tell you, man. From the day I was born. I don't know anything else I could do. And why do you say that? Because the way I see the world. I, I see the world different. I, I, I see it for what it is. That's well, it for well, what it is. If you if you can't, uh, you said just now that you couldn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. So what exactly did you do before this, and what prompted you even more? Well, you told us about what what how you transitioned that from a hobby to a career. What motivated you to say, listen, this is not for me. I need to do this. Sales. Sales, talking to people. Like door to door. Do like, well, no, know, apartment. Like I can sell you anything. <laughs> I can sell you an apartment. I, I used to do, I used to do uh, uh, rental, um, real estate, and I'm constantly talking with people. I'm, talk, I'm constantly um, getting people to change their mind about things. And I, I'm, I'm good at that. And I'm good at giving you what you want. So if I can change your mind and and I can give you what you want, I think I can be a success on stage. I agree. I definitely <laughs> That's how I look at it, man. You have to take that mindset of I'm not gonna just gonna excel here. I'm gonna excel anything. I anything, know. anything, and everywhere you see, uh, any, anywhere you see Black Rose, he's gonna be reaching for the top. He put himself. I put people around me that positive people. Um, that's very important to your team. Yeah. That's very important. You have to have support out there. You have to have someone support you, and you have to be confident. It, you have to be confident because there's times there's other people will. You have haters out there, man. People want to see people do bad. I don't. I don't understand that. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think that way. But I, I've seen it, and um, I've learned. You gotta. You, you have to believe in yourself. You gotta believe in yourself in anything that you do. What you're doing right now, you have to believe in yourself. Hmm. So, last question, Black Rose. Uh, what's the end goal for Black Rose? Like, where do you where do you imagine your career taking you? What do you want people to say about Black Rose when it's all said and done? You know, um, that's a very good question. A lot of people have asked me that. I um, I'm not trying to become the next Kevin Hart. I'm not trying to be famous. All I want to do is bring laughter. That's all I want to do. And if the doors open, whereas I, I can become a, a star or a, 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 a TV show, whatever the case may be, that's not, that's not my goal. My goal is to make you laugh. My goal is to share laughter. And truthfully, Andre, um, that's it. It may sound boring. Um, no, it's very, I think it sounds very But I, that's all I want to do, man. And if I can get paid to do it, that's great. But... That's all I want. That's all I ever wanted to do: make people laugh, make people happy. All right. Well, I mean, that's, I think it's definitely an excellent perspective. Um, definitely enjoyed having you here, Black Rose. Learning about the life of a comedian. I enjoy Not being all here. Comedians, thank you. <laughs> um, but you know, we have to uh, tell them one more time where they can find you. Some upcoming shows you might have, things like that. Well, I'm doing a few private shows right now. But if you go on Facebook, that is Patrick B L A K R O Z E. Hines, that's Black Rose. Um, on Twitter, Black Rose09. 
and I'm on Instagram. No, no you told me before it was um, Black Rose 9. Black Rose 9. Black Rose number 9. Black Rose number 9, right. And no, Instagram... No hashtag. B-L-A-K-R-O-Z-E 9 is what you said. That's, that's what it is. Instagram, I'm Black Rose 350. Yes. I just started this social media, man. I'm, I'm an old guy. I don't know a lot about it, okay? So just try to follow me out there. All right, so there is the man himself. Thank you once again for joining us, Patrick Black Rose Hines. This is Andre with WKNC 88.1's Eye on the Triangle. We definitely appreciate you having us, and uh, you all have a great night. I love geology. I have been interested in the rock cycle, volcanism, and plate tectonics ever since fourth grade. Last semester, I coded into the geology major here at NC State, and I've been thrilled with my studies ever since. So when I was going through the Eye on the Triangle email account, I was excited to find an article about Dr. Paul Byrne's work on volcanism and planetary geology on Mercury. I wanted to find out more about what exactly planetary geology is, so I had Dr. Byrne come into the studio here at WKNC and tell me more about the subject and his research. Hi, my name is Paul Byrne. I am a planetary geologist. Uh, I've been here at State for a year. I work in the Department of Marine, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. Um, and currently I teach two classes. I teach structural geology, which is faults and earthquakes and that sort of stuff. And I teach planetary geology. There's a first class that we've, we're doing for the first time this semester. In my experience so far as a geology major here at NC State, a lot of people are unfamiliar with the Marine, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences Department. Can you tell us a little about the department and what kinds of research are being conducted right now? Sure. So I think I, I totally uh, sympathize with the fact that maybe a lot of folks don't kind of know what geology is. And the reason is that geology often isn't taught at high school. Um, so I'm Irish and in, in Ireland, we don't do geology in secondary school. And, you know, we'll come across a bit of it about, say, physical geography, why the landscape might look the way it does. But it means that when you get into university, often students have no idea that it's even an option for them. Um, they certainly don't know that they've been looking at this their whole lives in terms of where we get our oil from or how we understand volcano hazards. It turns out that geology affects us on every level, on every day. Um, but in terms of being able to see it, that as a, a viable career choice, a lot of folks don't appreciate that, that they don't know it's there. And so in the university, rather than us having a geology department, we have the Department of Marine, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. And the benefit of a department as varied as that is that you have people, geology and geoscience and earth science cross all these divides. Um, and you're going to find a breadth of research that can include things like coastal erosion, uh, water quality, uh, storm prediction. We have a very large meteorology group there that will make predictions for, say, hurricane activity. And then you have all the earth or geoscience where you're looking at the rocks and what the rocks are doing, everything from how the landscape evolves to ultimately, in my case, what happens on other planets. Now, I read in that article that I found on the NC State website that you did some exciting research about geology on Mercury. Could you explain that to us? The NASA Messenger mission got to Mercury. Uh, it visited it three times in 2008, 2009. And 2011, it made orbit. for the. It was the first time that we as a species have ever orbited anything at Mercury. It turns out it's really hard to get there. It's very expensive. It takes a long time. And the Messenger spacecraft orbited Mercury for four years. And in that time, it revolutionized our understanding of this planet that otherwise is really hard to understand. It's quite close to the sun, so it's really hard to point telescopes at it. So we really didn't know that much about it. We'd only visited there briefly in the 70s, and even then we just flew past with spacecraft. We didn't orbit it. So Mercury, or understanding any planet like that, gives us uh, the ability to understand, say, things like how volcanoes behave in general. Right? We're not just limited to the opportunities to go visit volcanoes on Earth. 
Now we have a much better understanding of volcanoes on Earth because we can go to them, we can photograph them, we have historical records of them. But understanding how they might behave in general or in ways that we don't see on Earth, you have to go to other worlds. You've got to go at least look at other worlds. And one of the things that we'd noticed early on when we got to Mercury is that a lot of the very largest lava deposits, what we would call uh, smooth plains. On Earth, we would call them large igneous provinces. They're basically enormous expanses of lava. And these things can cover, you know, almost a quarter of the planet's surface. These things are humongous. Uh, certainly nothing that scale exists on Earth anymore. We think it might have back in the day, but it's been long since lost through erosion and, and we have plate tectonics on Earth. And all that sort of stuff means that we get a much better record of what early Earth looked like on other worlds. And what we noticed among some of these big, smooth plains areas on Mercury is that they were all kind of the same age. Super old, but all kind of around the same age. Their age was around 3.7 billion years ago. That's a really long time ago, and there is virtually nothing left in terms of landscape on Earth that old. It just gets recycled, it gets lost. And so a question that we had was, well, is this the case? So we see two or three really big regions of Mercury that are about 3.7 billion years old. Whereas on Earth, you get volcanism today that's constantly resurfacing places. That, you know, we have these huge volcanic centers in the ocean floors. On uh, Mars and on Venus, and even on the Moon, we've got really huge expanses of lava, but they're all much younger than that. So we were kind of thinking, well, why are they all the same age for Mercury? So what we did in this study was we identified a bunch of smaller but still humongous lava deposits across the surface of Mercury. And then we use a variety of techniques we have by looking at the images we have for the surface of the planet. We look at the number of craters and then we can do some analyses and we can figure out an age on the basis of the number of craters in an area. And sure enough, we found that all of these areas are around the same age. We couldn't find a single one younger than around three and a half billion years old. And that's weird because on Mars, we know that some of the units are much younger. Maybe they're a few hundred million years old. They're still super old, but they're much younger, relatively speaking. On Venus, same deal. On Earth, same deal. Even on the Moon, some of those flows are not that old. But on Mercury, it looks like everything shut down very early on in the planet's life. And that was something that we thought we might find, but then we had to go and explain why that would be. And it turns out that separately, a lot of the work we've been doing with the Messenger project is understanding how much Mercury has shrunk, because it turns out that Mercury has shrunk. Uh, in fact, all planets shrink. Uh, as they get older, they lose heat, and as they lose heat, they cool down. It's why it's easier to open a door on a cold day than a warm day, right? Because on a warm day, it swells up. It gets, uh, it contracts and cool when it cools down, and that's what Mercury has done. And separate research we published over the last few years has allowed us to estimate how much the planet has shrunk. And what we think has happened uh, that's unique about Mercury that you don't see in these other planets I've talked about is that Mercury began to contract around about that time, around three and a half to four billion years ago. It hit some threshold, it got cool, and as it started to cool down, it squeezed itself shut. And by squeezing shut, especially the upper surface, you shut off all that magnetism. All that lava can't get to the surface anymore. And so by around three and a half billion years old, you stopped a process that on other worlds, including Earth, continue into the much more recent. So that was an interesting insight, and you don't see that on any other planets in the solar system, not any ro rocky bodies at all. And, and that was an interesting thing to discover about a world that we really didn't know very much about five years ago. So you mentioned that Mercury is different geologically than Mars, Venus, and Earth. What are these differences? Okay, so, so there is a pretty big difference. One of the primary differences is this age of which lava you know, activity shuts down. We think we know why, and there is something unique about Mercury that we don't quite see anywhere else. If you get a big knife and you slice through Earth, which thankfully you can't do, you'd find that it has a huge interior portion called the mantle, which is solid rock, but on geological timescales it flows. It's kind of what helps stuff convect and move inside Earth and ultimately helps drive plate tectonics. 
The mantle is about half of the radius of Earth. And underneath the mantle is the core. There's the outer liquid bit, that's where we got our magnetic field. And there's the inner solid bit. But they're about 50-50 in terms of radius. We don't know for sure what the interior of Mars or Venus looks like, but we think it's probably similar. It's comparable. But we think that if you were to cut through Mercury, about 85% of the radius is core. There's a tiny amount of mantle, which is our rocky material planets are made of. Now, the consequence of that is that the stuff that keeps a planet warm after it forms is a lot of that is radioactive decay that generates heat. That's what keeps Earth, most of what our heat comes from is from radioactive decay. It's probably what's keeping some of the interior of Mars warm. It's probably what's keeping some of the interior of Venus warm. Um, because there isn't as much of this stuff, this rocky mantle inside Mercury, it doesn't have the ability to keep itself warm for as long. And so what that means is it takes much less time for Mercury to basically get rid of most of its heat. Sure, it's still hot on the inside. In fact, it has to be. We know the core is still liquid because it has its own magnetic field, unlike any other planet in the inner solar system. But it's not enough heat to keep volcanism going to offset the effect of this cooling and contracting that's going on. And so we think we can explain why there's such a difference in Mercury than the other bodies. And it's because Mercury's core is huge and its mantle is very, very thin. You can almost think of Mercury as a giant ball of molten iron spinning through space, wrapped in a blanket of rock. So obviously planetary geology sounds really cool, especially from like a sci-fi perspective. But what conclusions is the field of planetary geology helping scientists to come to? But in general, understanding what we're seeing on Mercury is a process we use called comparative planetology. It's a very powerful tool. And what it basically says is, we can understand the surfaces and the processes and the landforms on other planets by comparing them with Earth. Because Earth is the place, like with our volcanoes, we can get to them, we can hike them, we can measure them. And so we use comparative planetology to try and understand what other planets look like, how they look the way they do, and what processes led to them. The benefit of this is two ways. And the other thing, the, the, the flip side of this, is that, like I said earlier, we lose a lot of these landforms on Earth, things that get eroded through plate tectonics erosion but they survive on other worlds, which means we can look to other planets and we can see ancient Earth as it was before our atmosphere kicked in, before plate tectonics kicked in, before life evolved. And we can look to Mercury, we can look to the far side of the moon, we can look to parts of Mars, and we think we're seeing ancient Earth there. We might even be able to look at parts of Venus and see potentially what future Earth will look like. And so we get this ability to look into deep time by looking at other planets. And so not only are we now in a position where we can start answering these questions about Mercury, but we can begin to wonder, well, what did ancient Earth look like four billion years ago? And that, I think, is one of the most exciting things we can do with comparative planetology. And that's where a lot of my research focuses going forward. Well, thank you. That was incredibly interesting. I can't wait to hear more about the field of planetary geology as well as comparative planetary geology in the future. I'd like to thank you for your time, Dr. Byrne. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle.